Well, in order to kind of take some of these summer weeks where I've been gone and and you've been gone, we've been answering some questions just related to things that were on your mind. The problem is, is you asked about 85 questions, and uh, we've only been able to answer about, I don't know how many, about 20 or 25, and uh, time has come to return to First Timothy, and so this is going to be the last Sunday that we are going to be um, answering questions, and I've got the questions saved, and uh, you can always ask them in person, um, but uh, for this morning, we are going to look at a very important subject, just a real foundational issue, and that is, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What is the spirit-filled life all about? Several people have asked me about that, and so um, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Many years ago, before I was married, so you know it was more than 17 years ago, um, I drove a 59 Ford pickup. It was old, and the outside was pretty good, but the inside was really good. The, The engine was new, and everything under the hood was new, and I had kind of fixed it up um, mechanically, and it was a great truck, and it always ran when it was supposed to run, and and uh, it doesn't matter whether it was in the mid of winter when it was 20 below zero, or whether it was 105 degrees in the summer, it would start up, it never gave me any problems, it was just uh, this flawless running vehicle. And one day I went with a couple of friends to go see a movie, and after we got out, I came to try and start my truck, and it didn't start. It it was just the battery was dead. And I thought, man, this is strange because I, I had put this heavy-duty tractor battery in there and I knew that in a couple hours, I mean, I didn't leave anything on. I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so I thought, well, we'll, we'll just push it. So my friends and I were pushing this thing through in the parking lot and I'm jumping in and popping the clutch trying to get it started and it wouldn't start. So finally I humbled myself and asked somebody if they wouldn't mind pulling their car over. I had some jumper cables and so I was going to get it jumped and so I opened the hood and there the problem became apparent I didn't even have a battery (laughs) somebody had gotten into my truck with a big pair of cable cutters and just cut all the wires and the bracket and everything and just basically just pillaged my truck of my nice battery and then it became ah now I understand why I can't start it and uh, I say that because many Christians are kind of like my truck without a battery. They, they, they have a power source, but they aren't using it. They're, they're disconnected, so to speak, from the power source that God has given them. And that is the Holy Spirit. It's not that they don't have the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's in there. But they aren't hooked up to it. And this morning, I just want to look at this very important and foundational question what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or walk in the Spirit? I remember a, a counselor tell me one time who had counseled for, done family counsel for 15 years tell me that in 15 years of counseling people at a very conservative Bible teaching church that he had only had three people in 15 years who could tell him what it meant to be filled with the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. Three people in 15 years. He says... I begin to realize that it's people who don't know this that have problems. Because I knew a lot of other people who knew what it was, but they never came to me for counseling. And so this morning, I want to just look at this, and we're going to just 
kind of be all over. We're going to camp on a few texts and end up being in Galatians 5 most of the time. But I want to address this important question. And I want to ask you some questions. Do you know what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Do you know what it means to walk in the Spirit? Do you know when you aren't walking in the Spirit? And do you know how to start walking in the Spirit again if you aren't? These are the questions we're going to answer this morning. And so, as we look at several key verses, I want to teach you four principles that you can take with you today and apply to your life in this area of walking in the Spirit. And that is these. One, God commands you to be filled and walk in the Spirit. That's the first thing you need to know. Secondly, you must fight to let the Holy Spirit have control. Third, you can know when you are walking by the Spirit. And four, if you turn off the power source, you can turn it on again. So those are the four things we want to look at, and we're going to kind of do a quick survey. And again, we could spend several messages on this, and we're going to do it in one, maybe. We'll see. First John, or John, rather, in John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus tells us something very important about the Holy Spirit. And I just want to give you some basic theology about the Holy Spirit before we answer this question about walking in the Spirit so we're all on the same page because we need to understand some basic truths. He's speaking to Nicodemus, this Pharisee who comes to him by night. And and Nicodemus shows up and he's talking to Jesus and Jesus tells him some incredible things. And in John 3, 3, he says this, truly, truly. Now, whenever Jesus says truly, that means this is important. But when he says double truly, that means this is really important. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot get into the kingdom of God. Now, that is an interesting statement. You've got to be born again. And you remember the the statement, well, how can I enter into my mother's womb? And then Jesus answers in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This one verse tells us something very important. It tells us that if you're going to get to heaven, you've got to be born again by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you are not getting there. So, you know, people talk about, oh, yeah, well, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, is there any other kind? No. There is no other kind. You're either a born-again Christian or you're not a Christian. So that's the first thing we need to realize is that you've got to be born by the Spirit or you can't get into the kingdom of God. The second thing I want to teach you, just relating to general introduction, this is going to be kind of the salad before the main meal, is in 1 Corinthians 12.3, where Paul is speaking of how we have all this diversity of spiritual gifts in the body, but the body is one, and we have one spirit uniting us and causing us to function together to accomplish God's purposes. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12.3, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, where their slaves are free and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Some goodies in here to point out. One, if you are a believer, you have spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts are given to you by the Spirit and the Spirit has baptized you, not talking about water baptism, talking about placed you into the corporate body of Christ, the universal church, and it is by that one Spirit that makes you part of 
the body of Christ. Not the local visible church. I'm talking about the church of all true believers. Whether you're slaves, whether you're free, whether you're Greeks, whether you're Jews, we're all made to drink of one spirit and placed into one body, the body of Christ, and when, when you are saved. Keep that in mind. Number three, in Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30, Paul, speaking to the believers at Ephesus, tells them this. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so they heard the gospel, having also believed, that is, they became believers, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, which he says is a guarantee of our, our, our pledge of our future inheritance. He says, you're sealed, just like you would take a letter and drip some wax and seal it. That seal is a guarantee that you are God's. He says pretty much the same thing in a little different context. In Ephesians 4.30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We learn something important here. Every believer is God's possession by the sealing of the Holy Spirit and that you will never lose the Holy Spirit. It will never leave you. You have all the Holy Spirit you will ever get resident within you and it will be there until the day of redemption so you don't have to worry like... um, You know, David prayed that the special anointing of God, that special empowering that came upon people in the Old Testament times to empower them to certain tasks. He says, you know, um, take not thy spirit from me. He was saying, don't let your Holy Spirit be taken from me because I need that special power that you have given me to function as king. We don't have to worry about that. We have the power source. No one's going to clip our battery and steal it out of our truck. We have it. It's there. It's resonant within us. The fourth thing I want to talk about, and then we'll get into our text, is this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, when Paul is speaking of the believers, and he's speaking of them abstaining from immorality, he gives them 12 different reasons why they should abstain from immorality. And this is one of them in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. When you combine all of these verses together, this is what you get. When a person places their faith in Christ, they are born again by the Spirit. They are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. The Spirit never leaves them. Their bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit, and it is a guarantee of their future inheritance in Christ. Now... That's just our little short cram course on Holy Spirit theology. And I wanted to give you that because I want you to know we're talking about the Spirit-filled life or walking in the Spirit. We aren't talking about getting any of the Spirit. We have all the Spirit as believers that we're ever going to get. People don't come in pieces. You either have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. Now, let's look at... The four things that I talked about earlier, the first of being God commands you to be filled and walk in the Spirit. So turn to Ephesians 5.18, and this is the first text we're just going to briefly look at, and we'll kind of be all over. We'll eventually land in Galatians most of the time, but 
In Ephesians 5.18, Paul, speaking of the believer's walk in Christ, you can go back and see this. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, uh, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And if you go down and look in verse 17 of chapter 4, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, you know, as the Gentiles. And then uh, he says in chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love. And then he says in verse 15, Therefore be careful have you walk. He has spent three chapters telling them all the doctrine, all the riches and all the glories, the, the blessings they have in Christ. And then in chapter four through six, he tells them what to do because of everything they have in Christ. And here he says, walk, walk, walk in this way. And after he says, be careful how you walk and don't be foolish and make the most of your time. He says this in verse 18. Look at it. Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here Paul gives us this contrast between two things. Notice what it is. Getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And he also gives us two different outflows or consequences. Being drunk with wine leads to dissipation. Being filled with the Spirit leads to speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks, and on and on. Now, notice this contrast, because it's important to see what he's trying to, he's driving at here. What is it about alcohol... What is it about consuming alcohol that has to do with your behavior? Well, the more alcohol you drink, the more alcohol controls you, doesn't it? I mean, the more that you consume, the more that pretty soon you become out of control and the Holy Spirit or the alcohol becomes in control. And that is like the Holy Spirit in that when you come to God and you become a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but it is a matter of control. Who are you going to give control to? Who is going to be in control of your life? Are you going to choose to be filled with the Spirit or choose not to be filled with the Spirit? You're thinking, well, do we have a choice? Absolutely. It's a command. He commands us here, be filled with the Spirit, which means you have a choice, right? You have to do this. Now, there's a couple different kinds of commands, and this one here is a present passive imperative. When you have the passive, this is what it means. It means something happens to you. An active imperative is you do something. A passive imperative is you let it happen to you. And that's what this is, in, is saying here. You might reword it um, as, but allow the Spirit to fill you. To be filled in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't help us very much, does it? I mean, that sounds kind of weird. I don't know about you, but all I can think of is a glass and you're pouring it full. You've already got the Spirit in there, but now you're trying to make it full. It just doesn't work, does it? And a lot of people, this is why they have confusions. They're thinking about it and they're thinking, well... You know, what, what does that mean? Well, the word literally means to be filled up or to be made complete. It was used of crew members that would man a ship, that if you had a full complement in order to man a ship, then you could take the ship out. A full crew is how it's also used in other Greek literature. 
But in the New Testament, it talks of being, it's used of being filled with knowledge, filled with joy, filled with the Spirit in this case. And the mere fact that it is a command tells us that we have a choice. We have to do this. So whatever it is, which we're going to camp on here for a little bit and try and find out what it is, whatever this is, you have to do it. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. The question is, how does that happen? Well, if we looked at a couple other texts, we'd find some more information, and this would help us know a little bit more. Turn back to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, in verses 14 through, what is it, 25 or 23, 21, Paul has a prayer. And he talks about um, many things here that God would grant you in verse 16, um, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man, so Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith and being ridden and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height of depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Look at this. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Our same word there. Filled up. With all the fullness of God. Now that sounds good. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I want that. You want that? Yeah, we want to be filled up to all the fullness of God. Okay, all right. We want to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, well we have the Spirit. We have Christ dwelling in us. The Trinity is dwelling in us. We have the Holy Spirit. And so, he's not talking about getting more of the Spirit. So what is he talking about? Let's look at one more text. Let's look at one more text. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. This is a text that we looked at last week in relation to worship. But I want to show you this text as it relates to Ephesians. And this is important because Paul wrote Ephesians and he wrote Colossians at pretty much the same time, uh, penned them probably one after another and sent them to two different places. And he wrote these two letters and talked to the believers about a lot of the same things. And when he did this, this is what he says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. He says, let the word of Christ dwell within you, with all, dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now listen to Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 again. Just listen to the similarity here. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now notice this. Letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is paralleled with what? Being filled with the Spirit. Very interesting. Very interesting. Both of them produce speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God. What does this tell us? This tells us something major. This just clarifies the whole thing. It tells us that being filled with the Spirit is not getting more of the person of the Holy Spirit. It is letting the Holy Spirit have more control of your life. 
That's what he's talking about. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is to submit more to the Word of God, which is dwelling in you richly by the strength of God and for the glory of God. And that's about as simple as it is. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now turn over to Galatians 5, and here's another parallel text. And we're going to be here on several times. We're going to go back and forth. But look at uh, Galatians 5. And in Galatians 5, he uses a different terminology. And this is another one that um, we're probably familiar with, but a lot of people don't understand. And that's this. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, here we have another command. We are commanded to walk by the Spirit. So, in other words, just like we have a command to be filled with the Spirit, and if we don't do that, we're sinning. Now, we're commanded to walk by the Spirit, and if we don't do that, we're sinning. Now, what's interesting here is this is not a present passive imperative. This is a present active imperative. Here, we are told to actively walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. This means we must choose to do something and not let something be done to us. Now, when I was growing up in the mountains of Idaho, we had to get rid of our dog, our first dog, and after a while, we got another dog from this guy who raised dogs, and we called him Poke. He was a sheep dog, and um, we got him when he was about nine months old. And this guy we got him from had, you know, this whole fleet of dogs who would all be in the back of his pickup. And when he would stop somewhere, he would say, out of the truck, get under there. And all of them would leap out and all crawl under his truck and lay down. And they would stay there until death. I mean, this guy knew how to train dogs. I don't know what he did, but they, they knew he meant business. And so he said, yeah, I've got a, a good dog. And so we got this sheep dog, one with the, you know, the hair in front of their eyes you never see their eyes and he had taught this dog he says the dog's pretty much trained and i thought you know well he's not even a year old and he's pretty much trained him he was i mean you just he'd just walk over there and he'd look at you right here (laughs) if you went he would just like this He'd do everything you say he just hand commands and whenever you go for a walk i noticed he would always be right there Right there by you. And I would try to ditch him. <laughs> to see, you know, I wasn't, my other dog was a little normal. Um, like your dog, you know, you open the front door, out of it goes, and you know, you're driving the car with the car door open. Come on, come on. Fifi, jump in the car. We're going for a ride back home. I know you never did that, but other people have done it, I'm sure. Anyways, we've got this dog, and I would try and ditch it, and I'd run and stop and turn and go, and whatever I go, that dog was right by me. And I noticed something interesting. That dog always had its eyes on me. It never looked anywhere else. It always kept its eyes right on me. So if I turned this way, it would turn that way. And it just stood there, and it always just looked up at me, right there on the right, and it always looked up at me. So if I went fast, it went fast. If I went slow, it went slow. And I was there. I healed. It, it was always in submission to the direction I wanted to go. And that is a perfect picture of what God wants you to do and wants me to do. God wants us to always keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, to have his word dwelling in us richly, and to always be looking to God and his word to guide us in our every movement, our every thought. To always heal to him. 
You see, the scriptures in many places tell us to study the word and meditate and dwell on God's word. And you have the Holy Spirit in you and you know what it's like if you don't read the Bible for a while. I mean, it's kind of like those days when I'm really excited about doing projects or something and I get up and I don't eat any breakfast. And then I don't eat any lunch. And at about 3.30, I'm wondering why I'm quivering and I feel weak. And my wife says, have you eaten anything? No. That's why. So I go in there and I eat. I'm starving myself. Well, that's what happens spiritually speaking. You know, you don't read your Bible. You don't read your Bible. It should create a longing in you. The spirit should be saying, hey, let's get some food here. Feed me, feed me, and I'm hungry for the word of God. It's not dwelling in you richly when you're just gobbling up one hour on Sunday or whatever. But you know, even though the spirit is in you, and even though the spirit is saying, you need to, you need to read God's word, and even though you, you're saying to yourself, I know I need to do that, and you may be even hungering for God's word, the spirit doesn't sit you down in front of your Bible. The spirit doesn't open your Bible for you. The Spirit doesn't cause your head to look down and to read the verses. You have to do that. And this is what we're talking about in this verse. The other verse was, is you allow the Spirit to direct you, and here it's you submit to that direction and pursue the direction the Spirit is going. So it hits it from both angles. He's saying, allow God to guide your life and actively pursue that. The only way you can know what direction God is leading is by what? Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is how God directs us. That's how God speaks to us. That's how God tells us what to do. That's how we know him and know his will for us. And so we are to have it in us and then submit to that. So that's what it means to be filled or walk in the spirit. To know God's word, to turn from sin, and to pursue after God. Letting God have control by submitting to his will through the spirit. Because after all, when you submit to the Bible, who are you submitting to? The words of the spirit, right? Because men moved by the Holy Spirit, what? Spoke from God. These are the words of God. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to walk in the spirit way, you walk in God's way as revealed in his word. Now that's pretty easy. But now... The second point we want to look at is this. You've got to fight to have this happen. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know how this is. I mean, just a simple thing like read your Bible every day. That is a very basic concept to understand, isn't it? But a very hard thing to do. And you ask yourself, why? Why? Because in every one of us, we have this adversary, this rival... This principle in us that is in direct opposition to everything God wants us to do. What is that? It's sin. It's our sin natures. Look at Galatians 5, 17. Notice what it says there. After he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In verse 16, he says this, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For, there, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, right here we have some basic, great things to know. You are either walking by the Spirit or by the flesh. 
You cannot do both. You are either submitting to God in your life or you're not submitting. You're rebelling. There is only one way to do it. You aren't just, you know, 95% right with God. You're either right with God or you're not right with God. You're either doing what God's will is in your life or you're rebelling. If you have some little tiny secret sin hidden way back in the recesses of your mind and you know's there and you try and play the Christian, you aren't playing the Christian. You're being a hypocrite. You're sinning against God. You're rebelling. God wants all of you. And so here we note that you're either walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh, that these two things are in opposition to one another. And this is where the battle is for all of us. This is the battle of the Christian life. You know, when you become a Christian, sin is conquered, isn't it? Is sin conquered? You bet it is. You bet it's conquered. You are no longer a slave to sin, are you? No, you aren't a slave to sin. You have been freed from sin's slavery. But is sin eradicated from your life? No. It's reduced from king of your life to a beggar. And it hates it. But if it's got to be a beggar, it'll beg anyways. And you know what happens. Feed me. Feed me. Just watch this one thing you shouldn't. Do this one thing you shouldn't. Just say this lie. Just deceive this person. Just act carnally a little bit. I beg you. Feed me some crumbs, would you? I'm lusting. I'm I'm hungry. Don't let me die. And so it cries out to you. And if you're a Christian, you know how this is because this is life, isn't it? You're constantly saying, get down, get back. You're trying to mortify sin in the flesh. You're trying to drive it down and, and kill it and stab it. And, and no matter how much you try and attack it, it keeps growing back. It's kind of like you know working out. You, know, you work out at the gym for six months and you finally get in shape. And then you don't work out for a month and you regress eight months worth. <laughs> and that's kind of how these sins are. They're constantly crying. You beat them back and beat them back until you pretty much have a clean slate. And there's no big owies in your life. And then all of a sudden you feed them a crumb and they grow a mile. And then you're back to this just war, war. And isn't that what Paul talked about over and over again? Listen to what he says in Romans 7, 14 through 24. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am practicing what I would like, not what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Then he says in Romans 7.16, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it, the law is good. He says, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the evil, these things I hate. And he's, he's expressing his frustration, the frustration that every single one of us has to go through. I mean, don't you, don't you just hate it? Being a sinner? I mean, don't you just wish you could just be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect? I do. I hate even going out into the world. I just hate all the billboards and all the scantily clad women and just all the carnality and swearing and immorality and garbage out there. I just want to hide up into my little, you know, intellectual ghetto up there in my office. And, you know, just with my books and just kind of look at the computer and, you know, stay focused on God. 
And it just, it makes you, you, you relate to, uh, to Lot, you know, who has said his righteous soul was tormented when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. You feel that way? You should. And then he says in verse 20, But if I'm doing the very things I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in myself. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then, of course, chapter 8 starts, but thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. Paul describes this war waging in his members, this flesh just clawing and scratching and begging, please satisfy me, please fill me, please just give me what I want. And the Spirit is saying, no, no, we aren't going to do that. We are not going there. And the flesh is going, don't listen to your conscience, whatever you do. I mean, oh, it's going to, you aren't going to have any fun. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 12 and 13. Same type of thing. This is right after he describes how Christ has delivered us from sin and that through Christ we have died to sin and it's slavery in our lives. And even though we have died to sin and even though we are no longer slaves to sin, notice what he says. Romans 6.12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice the choice you have to make and I have to make. We have to make a choice to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness. It doesn't happen automatically. And that's what the spirit-filled life is. John, in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, speaks of what Thomas Watson called the godless man's trinity. Do not love the world nor the things of the world, and if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. He says the world is passing away and also it's left. Every sin you commit can be categorized under one of those three categories. It's either the lust of the flesh. Oh, feed me. Give me what makes me feel good. I want to feel good, you know, self. And then there is the lust of the eyes. You look at things and crave them and covet them. You want them because you see them and you desire to have them. And then there is the boastful pride of life, which is haughtiness and arrogance and self-sufficiency and I can do things on my own and I'm just as good as you are and, and me and I and, and uh, your, your flesh just says, hey man, just set God aside. You can do this. You're good enough to do You don't need God for this one. This is an easy one. Just do it on your own. Strike out there. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The boastful pride of life. This is godlessness. This is the godless man's trinity, these sins which are inside of us in the flesh, desires those things against the Spirit's will. And these are the things that, of course, Satan would appeal to in our lives. But wouldn't it be great if you could just have, you know, a, like a light on your shoulder that just said, you are now walking in the Spirit. Wouldn't that be great? Then you could just look up there and go, ah, I'm doing good. Then it'd probably turn off. You are now not walking in the Spirit. 
But what's neat is, is in Galatians 5, he tells us. He gives us the lights on our shoulders. Look at, look at verse Look at verse 18, or 19. Notice what he says there. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now just stop there for a second. They're evident. Lights on. It's like a billboard. You can see it. It's evident. What are they? And immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, crowding, and things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he says that about his clear. I, I love Paul's lists, and I just wonder what's going through his mind when he was writing this. You ever think about that? Like, well, let's see. We'll talk about this. Have to talk about, let's put this one down, too. Oh, this is a good sin, too. Oh, this is a common one. And he writes all these things like these. This is not a comprehensive list, but these are the kinds of behaviors which the flesh produces. So he says here, if these things are the pattern of your life, that's not good. Because those who have these things as the normal ongoing pattern of their life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying if you're a Christian, you'll never do any of these things. But he is saying, listen, believers don't have this pattern because this, these are the deeds of the flesh and you are of the spirit, not of the flesh, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8. And then he lists the opposite. Not only does he tell you this is how you can know if you are not walking in the Spirit, but displaying the deeds of the flesh. Look at what he says in verse 22. And these are common verses. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And just as the flesh produces a visual crop of carnality and immorality, so the Holy Spirit will produce a visible crop of righteousness. Righteousness. And what's interesting here that you can't really pick up in the English is this word fruit is singular in the Greek. He does not say fruits, plural of the Spirit, but fruit, singular of the Spirit, which is a great thing. This is what it tells us. It's kind of like an orange. You know, you have all these segments, but you need every segment to have a whole orange. That's how it is with the fruit of the Spirit. You can't have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, hatred, and self-control. It just doesn't work. You know, you can stick any one of the deeds of the flesh in that list and all of a sudden you would think, okay, well, how about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and outbursts of anger? See, it just doesn't work, does it? You are either walking in the Spirit and are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit or you are in rebellion against God and displaying the deeds of the flesh. Now, let's just say you're a sinner, just hypothetically speaking. And, uh, and every once in a while, and a great once in a while, you sin. You know, you're not right with your wife. You yell at your kids. Uh, you tell a little white lie, which is only whitewash. It's black underneath. Whatever. You do something that's wrong. You think something you shouldn't. You do something you shouldn't. You're a sinner. What do you do? What are the consequences of that? How do you... How do you get back to the Spirit-filled life, the walking in the Spirit, to the Word of Christ dwelling in you ritually, to being filled up to all the fullness of God? How do you get back there? When you turn away from that, 
How do you get back there so you can tap into the resources? Because believe me, the Holy Spirit is not going to empower you to rebel against God. you got to get back. And how do you do that? Well, you can turn the power on again by confessing your sins. You see, it's not like the Holy Spirit leaves you. The Holy Spirit is resident. It's just like you've cut the cables. It's like you've unplugged the machine. It's like you've turned the key off. Your sin causes you to turn your back on God. If you are sinning, you are not pursuing God. You are pursuing away from God. That's why, and we don't have time to go look at it, but if you looked at the context of Ephesians and the context of Galatians and the context of Colossians and the context of Romans, every single one of these contexts we've looked at, he exhorts them first to turn from their sins. And then he gives them the instructions we've looked at. Why? Because if you are pursuing sin, you can't pursue the Spirit. You can't be Spirit-filled. You can't walk in the Spirit. So, we're sinners. We turn away from God. We decide to throw some crumbs to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And we're feeding these dragons within us. And they're growing and they're getting bigger. So now what do you do? First, don't kid yourself into thinking that you can live for God with unconfessed sin in your life. You can't. Don't think that your worship is acceptable if you have unconfessed sin in your life because it isn't. Don't think you can come to God 98% right right with Him. You can't. You either have your sins confessed or you don't. You are either in rebellion or you're not. There's no middle ground. Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And Proverbs 21.27 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more he who brings it with evil intent. It's so important that you come to God in a humble way, in a right way, having turned from your sins, having confessed your sins, and then you walk with Him. When you choose to sin, it's like a dog who decides to chase the cat instead of heal. And so, in order for you to get back here, you've got to stop chasing the cat. You've got to come back, repent, and confess. And this is talked about in 1 John. And I like how John does it because he doesn't say here in 1 John 1, 6 through 10, he doesn't say that, oh, Christians never, ever, ever sin and um, we are always perfectly right before God. Listen to what he says here, starting in verse 6 of 1 John 1. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light... As he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John is not saying, listen, if you're a Christian, you're never going to sin. He knows you're going to sin. He says, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. You're deceived. But what he says here, and this is how you turn the switch back on. This is how you get back walking by the Spirit. If we are always in the process of confessing our sins as we commit them, he is always in the process 
of being faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to always be cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That's what that verse says. And that's what that verse means. It's not that you don't have forgiveness in Christ. He died for you. You have all the forgiveness you ever need. But if you run away, you've got to come back. And don't think you can run away and then just act like you're back. You've got to confess your sins. And that is like turning the key on. That is like plugging the appliance back in. Don't play the hypocrite before God. You need to confess your sins. And this is just important. And just give you one last illustration is this. We like to speak of Christians being two different ways. Sometimes they're like basketballs and sometimes they're like beanbags. And you know, the basketball, you get the basketball, you throw it down, and what happens? It recoils. That's like a mature believer who realizes, listen, it's not worth it, living in sin. So I know I'm going to sin, and when I do sin, I confess quickly and recoil. That is what a mature believer is. He's not one who never sins. He's one who confesses quickly. The immature believer is like the beanbag. You throw it down, and there it is. It just hits. Like, I think I'll live here for a couple months. You know, this isn't that bad because they don't know how bad it is. And so they kind of just grovel there. And a lot of times they just lay there on their sin. They need to get back up. And so we need to be basketballs. And so you confess your sins quickly and that realigns you with where the Spirit wants you to be. You get God's word in your heart so you know where God wants you to go. You pursue it as you allow the Spirit to influence you. You submit to the Spirit and submit to the Spirit by pursuing righteousness. And that's what it means to live the Spirit for life. It has ramifications in marriage and everything you do as a believer in parenting and just living for God. So when you leave here today, will you obey the command to be filled and walk in the Spirit? Are you going to do that? Two, will you fight against the flesh in order to let the Holy Spirit have control of you by constantly letting God's word dwell within you? Third, will you examine your life to see whether the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit is present? And if the deeds of the flesh are present, will you confess them? And four, when you sin, will you quickly confess your sins so God can work in and through you? This is what God wants you to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we were able to look at this important doctrine. Oh, it would be great to just spend more time looking at your word in this area. But Father, help us to be basketballs. Help us to recoil quickly. Help us to take the truth that you have given us in your word. Help us to see its meaning. Help us to submit to it knowing that it is the will of the Spirit inscripturated in the pages of Scripture. And Father, may we walk that way, giving you glory for all that we do, relying on you for strength, because we know that it is not by our strength, it's not by our might, but it's by your Spirit. So you have said. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.